We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And on today's show, we are going to not completely give up on the Minnesota Timberwolves offense. We're not going to crown them the worst defense in the NBA. We're going to try to apply some, I don't know, patience, Jack. We're going we're gonna to talk about where we think in the regular season, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to rank in terms of offensive rating and defensive rating. I think that's the best way to kind of begin actually, you know, painting a picture of where their win total is going to, to be this season and and kind of from there put together what their, their playoff odds. So, so that's what we're going to get into. Um, but Jack, um, Jack Borman is my guest from Canis Hoopus at SB Nation. Jack, you're tweeting out all sorts of Stats, live tweeting the games, coming to some of the press conferences on Zoom this year. Um, it's good to have you. Thanks for being uh, being on the show, part of the Timberwolves virtual beat this year. What's up? Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. It's good to be with you. Um, yeah, it, it's been fun to be able to participate in some of that stuff and, and, and just kind of, um, you know, see some of the questions that, that are being asked and how guys are answering it and, 
um, and, and just stuff like that in real time has been has been fun. But um, being able to do the lineup logs that I've done um, during the game too has been has been fun to kind of uh, look at the game. It's been through. good. Now I don't have to scribble them all down on my. <laughs> I still write everything down by hand and just have like five pages of scribble notes. You uh, you saved me one page. um yeah no but it's been kind of fun to look at the game through that lens and just kind of especially in the preseason where there's going to be a lot more experimenting and tinkering with stuff to see kind of what guys are playing what positions and where they're spending most of their time and who's playing with who and and stuff like that so it's been it's been fun to kind of look at the look at the game through that lens but but man it's it's good to have live action back and, and not talk so much about you know, who's going to make the roster and who... You're you know. sick of hypothetical conversations? <laughs> what? Yeah, Not I know. me. I just would have loved to be like, well, now let's do a podcast about trading for De'Aaron Fox. You know, we haven't done... <laughs> Did everyone else way back in July? I think you floated that one out. The number one pick conversation. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I was like, <laughs> maybe not for the number one, but if we're going to have these fake conversations about Devin Booker and Bill, uh, Bill Simmons, Ben Simmons, I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know. What, what about De'Aaron Fox? He then he signed his max, and then that dream was crushed too. Um, before we get into the offensive, where we think they're going to rank in terms of offensive rating and defensive rating, uh, What's uh what stood up stood out to you from these first two preseason games? Maybe like the your most encouraging and most discouraging thing that's popped. Yeah, so for me and it, and it may be for most of most of the people listening as well is that uh, the most encouraging thing I've seen has been Jarrett Culver. Um, I will freely and openly admit that um, I was higher on Josh Kogi coming into the season than Jarrett Culver. Um, Not me. I've always said Jarrett Culver is <laughs> aces. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, all jokes aside, you know, his point of attack defense has been, has been really, really strong, um, and is looking to be a huge asset for the Timberwolves going into the regular season. Um, you know, he's visibly bigger, stronger. He's, he's supposedly put on about 15 or 20 pounds of muscle in the off season. Um, and that's played out on the court so far. I think last season when more compact guards or bigger wings, um, would be matched up against him. Those types of those types of matchups would go through him on the drive, and so far this season we haven't seen that. You know, Jarrett's been able to cut off; he's been quick enough to cut off Ja Morant on his drives, but he's also been strong enough to prevent, you know, more compact or taller guys like Dylan Brooks and and Kyle Anderson from going through him, uh, which is really encouraging. Uh, and then on the other you side, know what I, Jack, not to cut you off, but you know what I would say too? It's like the the muscle and everything is great, but I I, I would just point to a lot of that being mental too. the belief that yeah. you can that you can stay in front of a guy is sometimes as important as physically being able to do it and I, I think you know everyone's doing the whole muscle watch thing with Culver and I'm with you he's bigger and he's stronger and that matters but particularly with what we know about or having just watched him last year he was just so timid and and I mean, we haven't seen it. It hasn't been a ton. Was he probably played like 40 minutes or something in these two games? But so much of that timidness, I feel like, has just dissipated. Yeah. And I think, you know, and maybe part of that is because he's more confident in his body and his body has given him, you know, a, a better sense of, you know, what, hey, I can do this because I'm bigger and I've gone against some guys in practice and whatnot. Um, but I really think the confidence from what I've seen, um, 
has has been on the offensive end of the floor. I think he's been more decisive in his decisions with the ball in his hands on whether to pass, to shoot, uh, or to take or to put it on the deck and, and drive to the basket. Um, and and you can just tell he's not hesitating before he shoots. Uh, and and I think he just feels more confident in his overall uh, his overall offensive game and, and especially going to the basket. I think you could tell last year that he was he was afraid of the free throw line, and that you know that could be part of the reason why he was a little bit more timid going to the rim and, and, right. and didn't finish quite as well. But, um, but you know, he's four or four, four or four from the free throw line so far. That's a hundred percent. We can hang the banner at target center right now, baby. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, the Jared Culver has been, has been my, uh, my most encouraging part of the Timberwolves through two games. What about um, discouraging? Yeah. So discouraging for me, um, there just really seems to be a lack of, of identity. Um, you know, something that I've kind of started to to look for when, when I watch games um, is trying to look at what a team's identity is. Um, and and I, I didn't see almost any discernible action in the first game. And, and granted, you know, I'm not some genius X's and O's guy who, who's going to sit here and act like he knows everything because I don't. And I still have a long way to go in that department. But, you know, we didn't see much Cat and D'Lo P&R. Um, no type of inverted ball screens or side ball screens for, for Malik. Um, and then, you know, in the second game when the team ran actions, it was so sloppy. Guys just didn't know where to pass the ball. Um, and, and there were just turnovers everywhere. I think, I think. I was going to Br- say, they <laughs> <laughs> seemed like where they were supposed to pass it was to the other team. because Yeah. <laughs> and and I think I think Britt tweeted it, but through the first six quarters of the preseason, the Timberwolves had more turnovers than assists. And I think part of that has to not do with great. Not, not playing with one another. But at the same time, you have Ricky Rubio trying to make, you know, Harlem Globetrotter passes instead of just making simple passes. And, and Carl, too. Carl's trying to make Jokic passes down the floor or, you know, hit backdoor cuts that aren't there. And uh, there's so just a lot. Those, the cut ones have been. There's a lot. There's just tough. been a lot of forcing it. And I think that that has, I don't know if that's because they don't trust the actions that they're running or there aren't actions that they're running or simply they just don't I know. Where, they don't trust each other, man. Like, yeah, I mean, or they don't know. I mean, they don't like, know where I mean, each other are going to be. They exactly. don't know where each other are going to be. And I think, and Ricky said that after the first preseason game, that he, he specifically mentioned Jake Lehman. And he said that, you know, a guy like Jake, who's as, as good of a cutter as Jake, you know, I really have to spend more time with him and learn where he wants the ball. Right. And I think that's probably an underrated thing that a lot of Timberwolves fans may not think about, is that, you know, there's a lot of that, where do you like the ball? How do you cut? That goes on presumably behind the scenes and in practice that the Timberwolves just frankly haven't been able to do yet with a shortened mini camp. Yeah, no. Nope. I, I I think you're I think you're spot on right there. I think just like in general, I feel like I've dwelled on the things that haven't been encouraging and dwelled on the things that haven't been. And it's also with preseason, it's not important to let that be the something that overwhelms yeah, your opinion. I, I think I don't think that's just looking at things glass half full. I think the proof is kind of in the pudding there that preseason isn't always a great indicator of what's going to show up in, in the regular season. And especially, so, and especially considering that the Timberwolves have turned over 10 or 11 guys since right. a year ago, which is but the at the most same the time, though, glass so, half empty, like glass half empty. It's an indicator. What, what I really like, what I really took away from that game. I, th- I talked about on the pod last night was 
is that the continuity, the identity, the things you just brought up there, um, it, it isn't there right now. And I think we can, we can acknowledge that. And that doesn't mean it won't be there come February or, or whatever. But when we're talking about the first month of the season, like I am going to adjust what I believe, you know, the synergy of this group is going to be in that first month. And that just the, and we'll, we'll get into this, but like, the idea of the Wolves being a top 10 or better offense was somewhat predicated on the idea that they would be that the whole season, right? Like I was, I was going back and looking at it today. I asked Ryan about Dallas and, um, and how they were the number, you know, they had, they got Chris Tapps and Luca kind of like the Wolves got D'Lo and Cat, and, you know, they just, they right away became the number one offense in the NBA last year. It, they were, obviously they were for the whole season the number one like in the aggregate, but they were also in the first month of the season, first fifteen games. Dallas was number one in offense. Like it happened right away, and I don't think that's going to happen with the Wolves. So, however you want to do the math on it, like we can still say in the if you want to give them top ten the last sixty percent of the season, we got away in the fact that, or I'm going to estimate that they're not going to be top ten at the end. So, so you kind of you kind of come to a balance there. Yeah, and and you know I've said it, you know, to so many people that that I've come to know that I don't care about the wolves. You know, context matters, and it's important to note that all the guys on that Mavs team had you know over a month before training camp mm-hmm. opened and when the season started last year in a normal season, and this year we're getting what is it, oh, two weeks, a week and a half, and some of these guys, you know, like Ryan said, you know, Wancho had visa issues. Uh, Ed Davis said that. When, you know, these guys had to come and do their quarantine, you know, they weren't able to work out for three, four, five days, whatever it is. And it's right, and yep. especially with the shortened window between, you know, when you clear quarantine and you start practicing, give it with a brand new team in a completely different system for some of these guys, that it's going to take time to, one, learn what you're supposed to be doing, but two, just get into game shape. Well, yeah, uh, and that, that's the thing, so, too, is like even go before training camp, look at, let's, let's look at last year, right? What were the guys doing all last summer, like the, the summer prior, the 2019 summer? They're playing pickup all summer. They're they're actually playing, and and what I think is very apparent watching the Timberwolves, and I we can't even like can't even rip on this for them, rip on this for not happening. Is I don't think these guys played a lot of pickup in the summer, and it was a pandemic. Like so, whatever that's right. their prerogative, of course. But it does not look like a lot of these Timberwolves players were. I think they were staying in shape. I think they were getting on the Peloton. I think they're shooting. Like, but how much five on five were they playing over the course of the summer? I, I, it certainly doesn't. It doesn't look like a ton, and that that affects continuity because if they each individually come in like as a lesser version of themselves, it's 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 going to be hard to synergize that together because they aren't even who they're going to be. If that makes sense, right? So it's it's just been a mess, kind of <laughs> on on that end. <laughs> Um, all right, let's let's start getting into um, this idea of where they're going to rank offensively, where they're going to rank defensively, and I think the best way to kind of start is by establishing like a realistic range based on historical precedent, right? And what we've come to know in the cat era is that the Timberwolves most years have been a top ten or close to a top 10 offense and they've been 
a bottom 10 or bottom five defense in, in every year of cat's career. We go last year is kind of a wash. It doesn't represent this trend. They were 24th on offense, 21st on defense, obviously a whole lot of different factors. Cat missed half the games, but go back to the year before they were 18, 19, which is the half Tibbs, half Ryan year, 13th on offense, 24th on defense. We go the year before that, the Jimmy year, they were fourth on offense, 23rd on defense. 16-17, Tibbs' first year, they were 10th on offense. There's no Jimmy there. And 26th on defense. And the year before that, the Sam Mitchell year, Cats rookie year, they were still 14th on offense and 27th on defense. So there's pretty clearly a through line in the Cat era of above average, maybe top 10 offense and Bottom 10 defense, maybe bottom five defense. Is that kind of where you started looking at this? Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that, that that checks out. And I think it also kind of lines up with where, if you look at other teams around the league <clears throat> that that have similar numbers and kind of where they've shuck out in the standings, um, that ends up kind of lining up with where a lot of people have the Wolves pegged this year. Um, and I think that kind of in that 10 to 12-ish, 13 range, and then in the 20 to 25, 26 range on defense, I think is probably a, a similar bucket to kind of where we're probably thinking. But, um, you know, I also think it's worth noting that on offense, I mean, Cat's got arguably the best offensive talent around him he's had since the one Jimmy year, um, sure. especially especially with some of the more rotational pieces as well. I would say too with that Jimmy year, like the second unit was bad in both sides of the ball. I mean, when they're bringing that was kind of that Jamal Crawford was was the sixth man, and like the 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 first unit was good. You know the the Cat Taj Jimmy Wiggs Teague. Yeah, I was getting like the guys Cat really spent the bulk of his minutes playing. Right, right. But I think that just also kind of it's like okay, they were fourth in offense. And didn't have a bench that year. So if we're if we're going, you know, the obviously though Jimmy Butler's on that team, and Jimmy Butler isn't isn't on on this team. So that's obviously relevant in that way. I the, the one thing I, I do want to touch on from last year because I know, and maybe it's unfair to just completely throw out last year and what the numbers were. I mean, to be fair, like that was the only year within the system on both sides of the ball, like. Uh, to some extent, how relevant is what Cat did when he was playing under Sam Mitchell and like shooting a bunch of mid-range shots or how relevant was, is what he did under Tibbs? Like this is a complete, not completely, but at least on offense, a very different scheme. And and they were 24th in offense last year and 21st on defense. But, but peel that back a little bit and you look at it when Cat was on the floor he, they had a 115.5 offensive rating, which would be better than every team in the NBA other than Dallas. So that's second in, in the minutes that Cat played. And then, but what the defense when Cat was on was 116.5, which is worse than, was be 30th. It was worse than even Washington. So we're second and 30th in this system with Cat on the floor last year. That's a relevant piece of context when we're having this conversation of this year because that's cat in the Ryan Saunders slash Gerson Rosa's slash David Vanterpool system. The other side of that though, 
is when Cat was off the floor, they were 30th in offense, equivalent of 30th in offense, worse than than the I think the Cavs were the worst offense in the league. But on defense, when Cat was on the was off the floor, they were 15th in in terms of defensive um, rating. So, to some extent, I think that also pumps in a little bit of positivity in the idea that maybe this group can be somewhat solid defensively when cats off the floor. I don't know. I mean, we need to, we'll dig into that a little bit. You can also just point to Covington and Gorgie Jang for, for a lot of that there too, but um, it goes both ways. I guess that's what my point is. The wolves are going to be awesome when cats on the floor and probably bad defensively mm-hmm. when, when he's on the floor, but I mean, still like a third of the minutes of the season are going to happen when he's when he's not out there. So I think that matters. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and to just kind of get into some context of where that top 10 offense and top 10 or bottom 10 defense gets you. Uh, so I looked at the past three years um, and, and there were too. and there were three teams that I found and, and maybe maybe you found the same teams. Three teams that I found in each year that that have these types of numbers. So just looking at last year, Portland was third in offense and 27th in defense. They yep. were the eighth seed in the West. Yes, kind Damian, of the eighth seed in the West. Yes, Damian Lillard missed probably what was it, 15 or 20 games with that groin injury that he had. So that's fair to to note. So they may not have been the eighth seed. They may have kind of fought back and been a seven. But bottom, the point is they were a seven or an eight seed regardless. San Antonio was ninth in offense and 23rd in defense, and they were 11th in the West. Mm-hmm. And then Denver, I, I, I penciled Denver in because they were kind of close to being an, an exception. Um, so they they, um, they were up there. They were fifth in offense and then tw- 16th. And then 16th. On defense. On yep, defense. Those, were the, so, those are the three I noted too. Also, Dallas. Was first in offense yep. and 18th on defense. Those are the those are the four teams last year: Dallas, Portland, San Antonio, and Denver, that were top ten offenses and bottom half of the league in terms of defense. It's unique to any of the other team. You look at cleaning the glass; it's the it's the orange orange on offense and blue on defense teams, yeah. and and that's what the the Wolves, in probably a best case scenario look like this season yeah the, i mean the best case out of out of all of the se- times that i found i mean if you exclude denver uh from the true top 10 offense bottom 10 defense the only team that that was better than a seven seed was cleveland in 2017-18 when they were fifth in offense and 29th in defense and i think we can all figure out the yeah, one reason that why that was <laughs> why that was um but i mean i do think there were some interesting teams from the 2018-19 season though too yep Yep. I, I thought um Portland and Portland, San Antonio, and the Clippers stood out that year where well Portland was the third seed in the West, but they were fourth in offense, sixteenth on defense. So I guess San Antonio and the Clippers were probably more relevant where they were the, the Spurs were fifth on offense and twentieth on defense, and they were the seventh seed. The Clippers were eighth on offense and twenty first on defense, and they were the eighth seed seed, yep. So that's kind of what we're talking about, I feel like, for the Wolves, if they're going to be a quote-unquote playoff team, is you got to be top 10 on offense and at 
probably at like 20th defensively. Yeah, and it's important to note for people out there that may not know that the playoffs are expanding this year to 10 teams technically, so there's going to be a play-in tournament. Are you calling that playoffs though? I'm not calling I'm not giving Okay, let me ask playoffs. let me let, Okay, let me ask you this. Is it more meaningful basketball than if it wasn't there? Yeah, sure. There's meaning Okay, there's an opportunity there's a If you're 10th, you've got a shot at the playoffs. Yeah. But I'm saying you're only a playoff team if you get into the play on. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that bare minimum, you got. if you want to talk playoffs, you got to be the 10th seed. So you at yep. least have a shot at mm-hmm. beating the 7th seed in a play-in and, and getting into the tournament. Which probably lowers the bar a little bit in terms of, of what that is. And you look at you look at teams like Phoenix and New Orleans last year, who were the teams who just missed it in the West, right? And and Phoenix was 13th in terms of offense, 17th in terms of defense. New Orleans was 14th in offense, 19th in defense. So you can kind of be closer to, to the middle there and be the 10th seed. But right? I just don't think it's realistic that the Timberwolves are something less than top, like th- that are in the 13 to 17 range on offense. And are also in that range on defense. I agree. Let's so. um let's start by digging into the offense, but first we'll take a quick ad break. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, Jack, how do we want to start this? What do you just want to give me what your uh, process was for 
for determining where you think the Timberwolves are going to finish in terms of offensive rate. All right. All right. So what I did was I just wrote up a list of all 30 teams on the NBA last year and, and had their last year's rank um, in one column in a sheet. And then was pretty much just dragging rows around um, dragging rows around uh, where I kind of felt that they would land and had a notes column of just kind of some key additions and some key losses for, for some teams as well. Um, And then just kind of separated into three tiers kind of. So the the first tier that I had was a top 10. um, And then the second tier that I had was 11, 19. So kind of more of that average range. Um, And then the last tier that I had was uh, bottom 10 uh, in terms of offense. And then, uh, just kind of went from there and started from the bottom um, rather than starting from the top, just because I think this year with yeah. more teams kind of jumping up towards the top with with injuries, um, such as, as as Golden State, um, I and and you know probably a team like um, you know probably a team like Phoenix too will will make a jump as well with the addition of Chris Paul. Um, so that's kind of where I started. I kind of started from the bottom and worked my way, worked my way up. So I kind of did the opposite where I started at the top. And, and for me, in, in terms of offense, I looked at the, the top, the top teams in the league last year in terms of offense. And it was the Mavs, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Celtics, the Nuggets, and the Bucks. And I look, I look at those teams and I go, I think all of those teams are a relative lock to be a top 10 team other than Boston. So I'm putting, I'm putting five in there right away in the top 10 for sure over the Wolves from, if I'm making a bet between them. So, so I've got Dallas, uh, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Bucks, and the Nuggets. They're all in. And then I'm also putting the Nets as a sure that um, that was my exact. So one. I had six six teams in there that were for sure ahead of Minnesota. Um, and those are the same. Those six? are my same six. Da- and th- these are the order oh. that I had them: Dallas, Portland, Milwaukee, Denver, the Lakers, and Brooklyn. The Lakers or the Clippers? The Lakers. Oh, see, I have the Clippers. Oh, okay. Then then I have the, I have the Lakers instead of the Clippers. I have the Clippers at nine. Okay, so. So that that'll be that'll be our one one sort of difference, but I I think that this still holds true because for me I'm putting six in there for sure that are above the wolves, and then now I have this another group of ten where it it gets a little bit murkier where you're like okay I can't say like with a bullet that it's that it's any of like any of these teams over the wolves really, and and so the way I approached it was of the ten teams. How many am I going to estimate on average will, if we played it out, you know, a thousand times would finish above the Wolves. So what those 10 teams were for me were Miami, Boston, Philadelphia, Golden State, Phoenix, Houston, San Antonio, Utah, the Lakers, and Atlanta, the Hawks. And, and I look at those 10 teams and I don't, if we want to go through them, you know, individually we can, but. But I, what I came to was what I think will happen is the Wolves will have a better offensive rating than four of than four of those ten teams, which means six of them will be above the Wolves. Add that to the initial six, and I have the Wolves at thirteenth. Interesting. <laughs> um, 
I, that's interesting to me um, because I have Minnesota somewhat close to that. Um, I also have Minnesota outside of my top 10. Um, so I have, or I, excuse me. I, yeah. So I have Minnesota outside of my top 10. So I have Minnesota sitting at 11th right now. So the only other teams that I have ahead of Minnesota for sure, or not for sure, but just ahead of Minnesota in general are, um, Phoenix, the Clippers, Utah, and the Celtics are the only teams that, that I, I put ahead of Minnesota just because I think, I think Miami, um, might might try and slow down this year and just really grind teams out with defense um, just because I think they, they proved that they could do that and play more half-court basketball in, in the playoffs, especially as they got deeper into it. Um, and, and then with uh, with teams like Philadelphia, you know, I think it could take Philadelphia a little bit um, to gel too. And who knows if some of the, if, if, you know, if Danny Green doesn't shoot it as well as he did last season, or, um, you know, if Seth Curry's just kind of relegated to being a catch and shoot guy, as opposed to a guy that they, they run a ton of action for, um, you know, who knows? I think, no, I yeah. think Philadelphia, Philadelphia could, could fall down, but, but, you know, Doc Rivers, um, has loved having shooters everywhere he's gone from Ray Allen to then having Landry Shamit when, um, when he was with the Clippers. So, um, you know, I, and JJ, Ryan. yeah. Yeah, so I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what Philadelphia does. But um, then the so the four teams I had immediately behind Minnesota were Miami at twelve, Golden State at thirteen, Philadelphia at fourteen, and Atlanta at fifteen. Okay, I, I think I think for me it's the Golden State and Philadelphia are are the two that I would feel more confident about putting ahead of the walls. And you know, I would just say to anyone, because I, I, I should say this, I've been have as I've just been talking about this over the course of the past month or whatever, I've pretty much been saying the Wolves are going to be a top 10 offense. And and that was just more thinking about it big picture, you know, existentially, whatever. Like when you actually do this process, and if anyone's listening right now, like get out a sheet of paper, pull up a list of the leagues and the team and, and start listing them off it is hard it is very hard to to put the wolves ahead of 20 teams especially with how much movement there's been and how many guys that were injured are coming back and new coaches and the whole nine i mean it's i would say like so like brooklyn was 21st last year and golden state was 30th yep those are two teams to me that are going to be top 10 offenses this year and atlanta was 26th yeah, and and I don't think I'm going to put Atlanta in my. I don't have them in my top ten, but they're in that they're in that second group conversation yep. for me, where you know where if things break a little bit more right for them and things are you know a little slower for the Wolves, I could see Atlanta being over the Wolves. At the same time, there is just this element of it's pretty much always been top ten with Cat. Like we're not ranking how good these teams are overall like the pretty mediocre to bad teams can sniff that top 10 offensively, you know? And, and I almost believe kind of in the whole psychic reality of a team that's bad on defense has a better offense because the game just has a different feel to it. When you're, when you're going against a team that, you know, you can just kind of score at will on, I think it, it removes 
your sense of urgency defensively. And I think the Wolves can benefit from that this year in terms of offensive rating, where where if I'm guarding Cat, I'm guarding D'Lo, you know, I'm thinking, all right, like maybe they're going to get a bucket here, but I know I'm going to go down on the other end and, and score on them. And that's not a good thing for the Wolves. You know, that's not like a good thing to have. But when we're talking about it like this, I it it's the way, that's the way where we go, okay, it's February and the Wolves are like seventh in offense. I think that's kind of what it feels like because they, because they just have scored a ton and have been getting scored on a ton as as well. And we're we're not talking about this in points per game. Obviously, I think that's that's clear at this point. But do you factor in that sort of mentality element of this at all? I think it's something that's really tough to think about when you're thinking about it in a macro wide view. I think that's something that you think about much more as you watch team play. Uh, if that makes sense. Um, so I just Washington is kind of a team that, that I think of where whenever I watched Washington last season on league pass or on buff streams or whatever, like it just seemed like all Washington wanted to do was, you know, hope that you missed and just sprint up the floor and just try and outscore you. Um, kind of sounds like the Timberwolves, man. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. And and, they built a roster to do that. Yeah. And you know, they, all I'm going to say about all I will say is that the Timberwolves better hope that they can make shots, and they better hope that they that the guys not named Cat can make shots like they did when he was hurt after the after yeah. the Toronto game. Because if if the Wolves aren't making shots, the Wolves are going to get they're they're going to get run off the floor uh, like they did last night. Yeah, yeah it's going to be it's going to well, be so, ugly. Okay, so who are you concerned about? I mean, I, the implication of that statement is kind of feeling like the Malik and Wancho numbers were fake news last year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So my thing is, I think the Wancho numbers are very fake news solely because I don't think Wancho is going to play as much. And I think it's just harder. Uh, I, why? Why? Why is he not going to? Why, why will he not what play? What does Wancho do on the glass or defensively? I'm not. Okay. I'm not. This is, again, this, this is one of these those conversations are we talking about what I think or are we talking about what's going to happen? I'm just telling you, Wancho's going to play like that. And I'm telling you that I don't like that. Okay. Well, those are different conversations. Yes. yes. So I guess for me, okay. If, if Wancho plays a lot more, um, you know, and, and the Timberwolves are really well spaced. Sure. I mean, he could, he could shoot, you know, better than average, but I don't think he's going to shoot it quite as well as he did last year. Um, sure. And with Malik Bees, I mean, and, and with Juan, with both of those guys, we have such a small sample size of both of those guys shooting out of their minds when they never shot as well at De- in Denver in an offense that also has good spacing. Where they're li- Malik kind of did, Malik kind of did. Where, where they're shooting a ton of threes. Uh, and I, Grant, I and think you can. I think yeah, I think you can make the argument about Wancho not having historical precedent. Malik. In 1819, you know, the year before he was traded here, was a very positively impactful offensive player in in what he brought in terms of floor spacing and and not only that, but also being able to work from the mid-range, being able to get all the way to the rim. Like, he has done that. Wancho were more the argument that he is good or okay or a positive offensive player is more so based in what we saw 
post deadline last season, which I'm with you. I, I hear that. That's not a good, that's not a large sample. And it's not a very indicative sample of anything because Cat wasn't on the floor. You know, it, it was an extremely different team. Yeah, I think that the chance, let me say this. I think the chances of Malik uh, cranking out the same, a similar type of production are much higher than Wancho because I think that, yep. I think that the Timberwolves are going to, run more and mean correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Timberwolves are going to be more focused on running actions that maximize Malik Beasley's skill set and kind of use what he can do both as, as a shooter and someone who can put it on the deck and get to the rim. I think they're going to utilize that a lot more than, you know, 100%. what Wancho yeah. has to offer as a guy who can, you know, effectively kind of hunt space and, and move to the open spot on the floor and just spot up and catch and shoot. Which is a valuable thing yes. on, when you have Carl Anthony Towns to post, in the post. Up. Yes, exactly. I completely agree with that. So I, there is a world where that is very valuable to this offense. Wancho and what, what he can do. What I will say is he looks like one of the guys who did not play pickup this summer. And it, I, it, he doesn't, him and Cap both don't look like they're in shape. So there's... I think if we're predicting slow starts, Wancho would be one of the guys, even if you're a believer in, you know, in his shooting or whatever, that this might not be smooth right away for for Wancho. And he does have a history of being extremely volatile as a shooter in, you know, in both ways. Obviously, we saw the volatility in an extended pattern last season when he was in Minnesota, but he's not I mean, you look at his historical three point numbers and it's just up and down, up and down. What I will say, though, is that it's often based on consistency of minutes. And he's t- he talked about that last year some, too. And I do think he's one of those guys who it would have if if you were in the rotation some nights or for a couple weeks and then out for a couple weeks, that would really hurt his overall production. And, like he's not just a, a ready play. And guy. it's just I mean, it's just tough. Like for me, I mean, it, it sounds dumb. But in high school, you know, I was in and out of the lineup playing baseball. And it messes with your head. You you worry like for some people. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think I yeah. think so. And but you're just kind of worried like, oh, if I don't shoot well tonight, am I going to play tomorrow night or that type that type of thing? And no, I guess I guess sure. my thing with Wancho is saying, you know, let's say Wancho starts slow, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson does not start slow in terms of just the overall impact that he's having on the team over the first twenty or twenty five games, a large enough sample size where, you know. The Timberwolves might start thinking, you know, shit, we really got to play this Rondé Hollis Jefferson character more. Um, okay, but but hold on. Here's the thing with the Rondé, because that's what everyone is going to is going to say, particularly based off of <laughs> one game, last night's yep. game, which is, is just fair. I think I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson is a rotation player in the NBA, and the Wolves are a bad team, so he should probably, you know, in a vacuum that would make sense to put him in the rotation. The thing is, is where and when does he play? Just because he's better than or close to as good as Wancho, that doesn't mean he's necessarily a good fit. Like, the Wolves can't and won't play Ed Davis and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson together at the same time. How, what would that even be? Like, they, you can't have two non-shooters at both the four and the five. They, they, they won't do that. You know, if we were talking, if there was 2008, you know, maybe they would be able to ground and pound away. But that is not going to happen on the 2020 Timberwolves. So that's that's a blockade to minutes for Rondé. And then I think, similarly, let's not just crown Josh 
Josh Okoge or Jarrett Culver like good or an improved shooters. That was let's rely on the 70 game sample of yeah. last season where those guys were terrible shooters. So are you going to play Rondé Hollis Jefferson next to a wing that that can't shoot at all? I mean, now we're back. Now we're back in Trevion Graham territory where where we have Can we not multiple players territory? out there. <laughs> well, Hollis Jefferson is a much better player than Trevion Graham, but that's the reason. That was the same reason why Ryan played Trevion Graham is because he was the hustle and effort yeah. guy, and he did no, all I'd... these things that endear you to a coach and a fan base. And I'm with that. I love those guys. That's great. Those guys are fun to root for. It's just when it's the, the, the question is not should he play over Wancho Hernan Gomez? The question is who should he play with? Versus who is Wancho playing with? Those are different. Those are different things. Yeah, I mean it's tough, and especially if Ed Davis isn't going to be as strong of a defender, uh, you know, as he has in, in years past. I mean, it's I mean it's a it's a question to ask. I mean, he hasn't. He's looked completely lost on on defense, especially. Um, but but obviously, you know, with big guys, there's I think he'll be yeah. Fine there's there's the older I, guys taking a little bit longer to kind of get going and not really giving a rat's ass about the preseason, but. Um, you know, I, I think that's a fair point in terms of who's want who is Wancho going to play with. But I mean, you look at I mean, just looking at at the first game, like Wancho played a lot of minutes with with Ed Davis. He played he played most of his minutes with Ed Davis, um, and then you look because he can shoot, Jack. No, I I know that, and I'm saying that yeah, that okay. makes it that makes it easier for me to see Rondé Hollis Jefferson spending time playing with Cat and having a lineup where oh, agreed, where maybe agreed. you have. Ricky, D'Angelo, Malik, Rondé, and Cat, um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess I, that lineup should play. Yeah, I, I guess that's. I, I'm, I agree. I'm, that, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of. I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm thinking more about closing lineups, and you know, and, and that type of and and through that type of lens rather than over the course of like the whole season. Like, how is this rotation going to play out every single night? Uh, because it's easier, the problem, it's, it's easier for me to see it on the floor with a specific lineup before I expand it to a whole whole season. Sure. the The problem is to get that cat and Rondé lineup out there, which I agree could work. Will probably would work with you know three other decent shooting options out there. You know, call it Rubio, Beasley, Edwards. Like that that makes sense. But he then becomes the eleventh man in the rotation. Because you're not taking out somebody completely, right? I'd take like are you go ahead. Well, who are you gonna yeah, say who are you gonna take out? Well, I was just gonna say if Ed Davis doesn't produce and does not play defense or does not rebound, why should he play over Rondé Hollis Jefferson? Okay, well that that's that's the case. I'm just saying you gotta take somebody out if you're gonna put Rondé Hollis Jefferson that's in. Fair. It's not only about who he fits with, it's about getting the rotation down to ten. Because I mean, teams that play eleven guys are straight development teams. Like you just look at box scores, look at, you know, look at it, look at how it works over the course of the year. And the Wolves might very well be that come March, but we're talking about now where I think the goal is and should be to try and scratch and claw for something close to that, that 10 seed with that. You're not playing 11 guys. So, so, so I think, I don't know. I, I think it might be a mistake to play 11 guys, even though Rondé seems like a, productive player yeah and I guess the other thing and maybe this is a transition into talking more about defense but I think so much of the conversation has been about you know this guy can't shoot so why should he play I I don't think enough of the conversation has been about 
this guy can't defend anybody. Why should he play? But okay, unless 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 you're how saying, many of those guys? How many of those guys are like role players? All of them. That's the thing. Is all the guys them. who can't defend? The guys who can't defend are D'Lo and Beasley and maybe Cat. And you can't just. And what? Okay, so Wancho's Wancho's, Wancho's the primary the guy that I think about because you have Jake Lehman and you have Rondé Hollis Jefferson waiting right behind him to take his minutes. I see a scenario in which Wancho doesn't shoot it well, and if Wancho's not shooting it well, he, I don't really think that Wancho provides much of anything better than outside of shooting better than Jake Lehman does or better than Rondé does. And maybe that's because I'm I'm lower on Wancho and I'm. And I kind of, no, and I kind fair. of want to see shooting... Wancho prove that he can yeah. do this over the course of a whole season because he's never done it in his career. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I just have a lot more trust in a guy like Jake Lehman, who's been in the system, who you know looks very confident, or Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who last. Oh, I hear yeah. You. So those are those are kind of my. my I'm just saying it's going to get. It's going to get. We got to give that at least you know. 20 games or whatever, you see a hundred three pointers go up by Wancho. And if he's not making the open catch and shoot ones, and maybe he makes 30 of those 100, then yeah, you start having that con- that consideration. But I don't think you can, I don't think the assumption should be that he's not making his catch and shoot threes and that in the aggregate, he's shooting 31% from three. Like, why is that the assumption? It It, it shouldn't be. That doesn't that doesn't mean he's a good defender. That doesn't mean he's getting to the bucket with any force. I'm not betting on on, on those sort of things. I'm just saying we don't need to we're we're dealing with bad options here. And and what his option is, is he does have the potential to be a decently high volume 40% three point shooter. And I think they're gonna give him the shot to do that. If he doesn't he's earned do it. That, he's earned he's earned it for sure. Yeah, and the, the other guys who are scraping at his minutes are a player on a non-guaranteed minimum in Ronda Hellas Jefferson and Jake Lehman, who's making like three mil this year. A lot of time, minutes are allocated based on who they've invested in recently. And they recently gave a $7 million a year contract to Wancho. To me, that's a pretty clear indication that he's going to be given... How- leeway to really run. how much of that do you think is we really believe in wancho versus that seven million dollars a year is going to be really helpful when we're going to trade him in march that's that's I don't the, know about march but okay but july or march, june he's got or, a, Febu- or it, october but 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 even if you're even if you view wancho as purely a trade piece you can't have him not be playing in your rotation and then you're like here you go. Yeah. This guy okay. Didn't play. I guess, this guy didn't play for the 13 seed all year. I, so, but, but one time, one time before the pandemic, he shot 40%. Like they're not, I, it's not a good sales pitch. I, I get that. I'm just saying that my, my thought is you, you give Wancho the shot, but I am ready to, I hear you. I, I don't, I don't have as long of a leash for Wancho as, as some other people might. That's because fair. I, because I think let's just acknowledge that there's a leash. Oh yeah, there's a leash and a deserved leash. Yeah, and going yeah. back to what you were saying earlier, I think that the problem for the Timberwolves is that if they're going to go all in on making shots, what happens when they aren't making shots? They lose. That's the and it's going to compound. Yeah. Okay. Let's um. 
let's talk about defense specifically. Um, this is harder to do for me. We can't just really list off teams in the bottom 10 of the league defensively. I don't think so the way we can't. I, I found it a lot easier to be like, okay, I feel really confident that these teams will be better offensively than the Wolves or they're in the same tier. Bottom 10 defense is usually dictated by teams that have suffered injuries that have forced them to play young players or the fact that they're just openly tanking. Those are the teams who normally suck at defense and are 25th to 30th in, in that sort of ranking. So I don't, to me, and I don't know, maybe you can list off some teams, but I think this conversation is more about what the execution level will be defensively and factor in what the overall talent is. How did you pursue it? So again, I, I so I started from the bottom, um, just because I think when I was looking at, I agree that's the right way to do it. <laughs> um, so when I when I was kind of looking at overall, um, so essentially what I did was I looked at each season and essentially did a correlation calculation for each of the seasons I looked at of you know in what season does has a stronger relationship with losing or winning, which either way it is. And so defense has a very negative relation or very positive relationship with losing, meaning that the further down the defensive rankings you are, so the worse of a defensive team you are, the more games you're going to lose. So I looked at it from, all right, let's start with the teams that are most clearly going to be tanking first. Um, and, and that to me is, is obviously Oklahoma city, uh, I think Detroit falls in that band in that bucket, um, and I think and I think that Cleveland kind of falls in that in that bucket as well. So those were kind of the bottom three teams that I had, um, and then above that I had Washington, and then I had Dallas because Kristaps Porzingis is going to be out for who knows how long, and if Luka Doncic gets mm-hmm. hurt, I see a very clear path to that team not only missing the entire playoffs but being a bottom seven or eight team in the league. And then I have, Whoa, and then I have hot take. And then I have Charlotte, um, Charlotte kind of above them. Um, so, so that was kind of the way that I looked at it just cause I think we, I think it's fair to, to look at it and look at how injuries have affected things. Um, mm-hmm. and Chris Stapps, I mean, Without Chris Stapps, that team is going to really struggle defensively. You know, thankfully they have Dwight Powell back from his Achilles. But yeah, I was I watched I was watching their game this afternoon actually, and I was like, oh, Dwight Powell is back. It's been a year since he tore his Achilles. That's yeah. So those are kind of the, the the things that I looked at, and then the teams obviously that I trust. I kept those teams at the top that are very well coached and have a lot of really strong defenders: Milwaukee, L.A., Boston, Miami, Toronto, the Clippers, yeah. Philadelphia. Right. So they're obviously up there. Yep. So I think for me, we got to talk about the specific defensive talent, which is lacking on this team. But before we get to that, I think we got to talk about the system and the scheme and what this scheme is built to do. And what it is built to do is limit your effectiveness. It is the David Vanterpool, the solid is enough scheme is not about getting block shots. It's not about getting steals. It's not about harassing you. It's not about shutting down your team. It's about minimizing the quality of your looks. And 
they are going to be dogmatic in following that. And to that end, that is going to boost this team, even with bad talent, away from the bottom of the league. The thing is, the problem, and the reason I question the whole kind of ideology, is I think that scheme, that mentality to defense, has a hard ceiling at average. I don't, I don't think you're ever going to be a great defense, a good defense, by being conservative and tr- just trying to minimize things. Now, with this group, that's just pretty overall poor in defensive talent, it, it makes some sense. So the way I view it is no way in hell it's getting over fifth average in the league. There's agree. no way they're, they're over, Completely agree. over that. But I also think that they're not going to dip into the t- bottom five in the league. I think there's enough of a construct to this defense and the principles to it that will prevent them from being awful defensively. And that checks out last year. They were, they were 21st in defensive rating overall last season with a bad roster. And when Cat wasn't on the floor, they're the equivalent of 15th. I think, I think we'll see them more so in that range. And I didn't go through team by team, but what 22nd represents to me is what I think this team will be. Yeah. And Which is probably higher than what most people think. Yeah. I, so, so you had them at 22? Yeah. That's exactly what I had them at as well. <laughs> um, there we go. So, so you were 11th and 20, 11th on O, 22nd on D? Uh, let me look at my other number here quick. Yes. I think 11, and 20, 11 and 22 is what I had. Um, and so something I, I kind of want to talk just a tiny bit about something that I noticed uh, in the game on Saturday. Uh, sure. So on se- the first game. Correct. So the first thing that I noticed was that um, Lehman was pre-rotated, kind of sitting almost on the opposite block when the ball was on. You know, if the ball was that's some Covington shit there, man. If the ball was on the right side of the floor, Jake Lehman was pretty much camped out just outside of that block on the opposite side of the floor. And then, so the Timberwolves, I mean, when the Timberwolves really struggle is when they let ball handlers get into the middle of the floor and get into the lane and kind of put Cat in this purgatory of, you know, are you going to choose the big or are you going to choose the guard? And then whichever one he chooses, every Wolves fan just yells at Cat and assumes that it's Cat's fault. In some cases, sure, Mm -hmm. it's Cat's fault. But the other thing is I don't think that Minnesota has really had strong enough on-ball defenders to either play strong side defense, which is essentially getting your, like, lining up, you know, facing the same direction with the screener and forcing the ball handler to kind of drive towards the baseline. And I think if the Wolves can force ball handlers to drive towards the baseline and get underneath the basket, when and you have that backside defender standing right there, um, you know, that was when Cat got two of his blocks in the first game. Um, and it also allowed Jake Lehman to come down and trap and it made it harder for defense, for point guards to just dribble underneath the rim, jump and throw it out underneath the basket for open threes in the corner on the wing or guys cutting to the basket. Um, which I think is something that'll be interesting to monitor to see if the wolves kind of, you know, if cat gets dragged out, if they kind of continue that philosophy into icing screens versus, um, versus just hoping that it, that a defender fights off, fights over it, or switches it. Um, 
But well, in theory, with icing, which was sounded basically like what you were explaining at the beginning, or a version of yeah, it, is as the defender, you are supposed to not let the offensive player decide. You are isolating that them to one side of the floor, and and I think we will see that on on side pick and rolls. The problem is those aren't the most typical type of pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Typically, they're going to be at, operating from the high quad, and. And from there is where the lead guard, as the Wolves allow in a drop, is where the lead guard gets into that that middle area. And and then the Cats put in purgatory or decision time based on how well the guy guarding the ball gets back and recovers and gets a rear view contest. It's that area is where it's decision time for the point guard. And, and you need, it's very important in that scheme to limit what those options are. That's that's partially on the lead ball head, the point of attack defender. That's partially on cat. But then you're talking about guys like Lehman or Wancho or whoever the, the opposite side wing is. And they have the the responsibility of of you know either coming in to tag the roller or to 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 take things away there too. What's so interesting about the Wolves scheme is they are so and Ryan will, will say this is they don't want that guy to come in far. They want them to be able to recover to the corner and they want to take away corner threes. And that is not that, that did not happen in the first two games. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it did happen last season. Last season, the Wolves took away corner threes. If you look at the volume of them, it's because they defended the pick and roll with the point of attack defender and with Cat. And now things did not go well there, but they did have the wing defender stay home and defend the corner. It totally broke down in the preseason games, but what I think we can bank on is the fact that they're going to have that guy stay home in the corner to take away corner threes because we saw that for the entirety of the season. Saunders has said it. They want to defend a pick and roll with two guys, the two guys within the action. They don't want to bring, they don't want to bring in a third, a third guy. Layman takes a little bit more autonomy there to, to read more and just has more trust in himself, I guess, to be able to recover back out. But it's a huge burden on the point of attack defender and cat if you're only defending pick and rolls with two players. And and that's why this is... It's why... The, the people have problem with the Timberwolves as, as a defensive group because they go, cat isn't a good defender and DeAndre Russell isn't a good defender. And that logic is extrapolated by the fact that their defensive scheme is extremely reliant on the point guard, the point of attack defender, and the big to handle the pick and roll themselves. The tricky part, or the the way the Wolves are going to try and finesse this, is by taking D'Angelo Russell out of that and putting a Josh Okoki at the point of attack or putting a Jared Culver at the point of attack to limit that action and be able to control it with two players. And what I've seen, and so I, I just looked. So the last year, the Timberwolves were third in terms of giving up the fewest amount of corner threes. And they were... That's a good And stat. they were third. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Because the high, outside of a free throw, the highest and in the NBA, the, the highest number of points per shot is, is a corner three. So it's, it's the most efficient shot you can take outside of a shot right at the rim or a shot that's free throw at a, that's a free throw. Correct. Yep. So in theory, it's, it's good that they're taking away the corner three. 
However, it's super analytic nerd though. Yeah. And it, and it works better in theory than it does. In and practice. the other thing I was going to say too, is that I think the, what the Timberwolves do with ball screens in terms of the, the point of attack defender, I think, I think Jarrett Culver, what Jarrett Culver does is going to be interesting because if Jarrett Culver is able to prevent point guards from going over screens and turning guys and just kind of mucking up the, the pick and roll point of attack. I think that's going to be, that could be a huge development for the Timberwolves because Mm -hmm. Jarrett Culver, if Jarrett Culver can turn a guy and force him to try and drive baseline and cut him off, if he can even do that, you know, six, seven times a night, that's three or four easy. That's three or four easy buckets that the Timberwolves are not giving up every night and stuff like that is going to add up. And I think that I think Culver's development from from that perspective could be a major key into how good the Timberwolves are are, or aren't on defense. And then if Josh Akogi is able to be kind of there with him, if they're able to have two guys that never really share the floor together, so you can kind of almost always have that one guy that you can rely on to be a, a passable, not D'Angelo Russell level point of attack defender. I think that is your path to kind of sneaking towards the back end of that average range, kind of in that 18 to 21 range or 22 range. Cold glass of water coming. Jarrett Culver and Josh Okogie will not be at the point of attack on every possession. Oh, I know that's that. just, yeah, that's just the problem. That's why it. I said five and, or six times in a game. Right, right. Well, I mean, but in theory they should be. And, and something to, to hold Saunders' feet to the fire is by enforcing that and 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 being being punitive about the fact that Josh or Jarrett need to be on it if it's a if it's a dead ball, if it's after a make, Josh or Jarrett need to be at the point of at the, the, the point of attack defender. And I don't know what the hell was going on last night, but I think anybody who watched this game remembers the play at the end of the first half where John it finished with John Morant getting that dunk. Right. Well, what happened before that play was the Wolves turned the ball over out of bounds. So it's literally a dead ball and you're transitioning back in defense. There is no reason on a dead ball situation why Josh Okoki, who was on the floor, should not be on John Morant there. But what happened is the ref grabs the ball, he hands it to Dylan Brooks or whatever to pass it in. And John Morant walks the ball up the floor. And who's there waiting for him at the point of attack? Malik Beasley. Who I think actually, I think right now is the worst point of attack defender on this team. Worse than D'Angelo Russell. Because D'Angelo is long. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. And it's a mental thing. But whatever. That's not, not the point I'm trying to get to. The point is Ryan Saunders has to go. He needs to be yelling. It was right in front of their bench. And he has to say, Josh, you're up on jaw here. And Malik, you go guard Kyle Ant. You stand here in the corner and guard Kyle Anderson. That is a coaching error if that doesn't happen in a in a regular season game. The, and I I tweeted out about this right as it happened. I thought that was that's inexcusable because what if that's the what if that's the fourth quarter? What if this is a tie game? It's one hundred and two to one hundred and two. The Wolves turn the ball over, and now Memphis has the final shot in the fourth quarter. It's the same equivalent situation, right? And if Ja goes and gets a dunk on that play, as he did, and they lose the game, 
That costs them the game, and it's a correctable mistake because Josh Okogi should be guarding him and is better at that. So I'm kind of steamed about that, and I come back, and I'm watching the beginning of the third quarter, and sure enough, coming out to start the third quarter, first five, six possessions, who's on John Morant? Malik Beasley, again. And I go, okay, Ryan Saunders isn't stupid. People, you can think what you want about this, but he knows more than all of us do about basketball. And what had to have been happening was they were trying to get tape and experience in a preseason game of Malik being a point of attack defender. It had to have been. There's no reason you roll back out there after the third quarter, after he gets cooked and dunked on, that you, would, that you would do that. Because Josh was out there to start the third quarter too. And something something that you wouldn't know that we all heard watching the game was that Jim, Jim Pete made a comment about that. Mm. Jim Pete made a comment saying that Malik Beasley has said, I want to do this. I want to take on that challenge and I want to try oh, and do I asked him about defender. it that this that morning. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that, but I don't give a shit if he said that. <laughs> like Well, no, I, I get the I get I that mean, you don't give a shit about it, but I'm just saying that's why Jim Pete was pretty much saying this is why you're seeing this with Malik Beasley. Why is that Malik Beasley's decision? I disagree with this completely. It doesn't it doesn't matter like well, yeah. I'm not saying it was Malik yeah. Beasley's decision, but I'm just saying like I think all of it stems from is exactly what you said that the Timberwolves want to see Malik Beasley be able to do that. It to better see if he's be. capable it better of doing be. it. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It better be. And the problem with, and what I fear is that this wasn't even a Ryan decision. It was just like Malik was like, all right, I got Ja here and I'm going to do this. And he just, he just took the And everybody kind of looks at Malik and is like, all right, all right Malik. Like, exactly. If you say so. And I'll it's just- like, uh oh, the ball's coming up. And Josh was like, oh, I better just go back to the corner on Kyle Anderson. Like, that's. I don't like to hear that Malik Beasley wants to be an all defensive player. I like the I like to hear that he wants to commit himself to defense. That's what I mean when I say I don't get I don't give a shit about it. Commit to defense. It is not possible. He does not have the skill set to be an all defensive player. He doesn't. It's it's like saying like I'm sure Rondé Hollis Jefferson wants to come out and shoot 43% from three this year. It's not, that's not his game. I mean, it just isn't No, like, and we do this thing with defense where we let guys think they're better at stuff than they, than they are. Where on offense, we go, no, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. And players are just much worse at admitting faults. And I think, I think when you look at teams that have really strong cultures and accountabilities, I mean, you look at the Miami Heat or you look at the Warriors, like no guys on that team, when they're at the peak of their powers, are doing just random shit that they're not supposed to be doing. Like, is Tyler Hero going to jack up a shot that he shouldn't take, a heat check shot? Sure. After he's but made he's a couple. Not gonna, he's not going to be like, hey, Derek Jones Jr., hey, Iggy, you know what? I got Tatum on this. That's play. my point. Yeah. And you know what 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 does the saying go? The wisest man knows what he does not know. Yes. And and it comes down to the same thing. It's like I don't know if it's Malik, you know, now having this contract and and thinking that he's the third guy and needs to be, you know, this two-way NBA star. Oh, he's but the third guy I, on offense. Yeah, and I'm that's just saying that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just saying I don't know if if that is inflating his confidence or inflating you know what he what he wants to do, but but kind of 
the nuts and bolts of, of what I think about the Timberwolves is that the Timberwolves, in my opinion, are going to go as far on defense as their point of attack defense with Jared and Josh and Cat staying out of foul trouble can take them. Like if Cat can become a marginally better rim protector in terms of staying down and and just yeah. contesting shots, and not trying to block it. And the one and the other side of that too is for rotating defenders. We saw, we've seen multiple times in the, in the first two games where you have three guys that go and try and block one shot, and nobody cuts out, and there's somebody waiting right underneath the rim mm, to to get a rebound and, and get a putback. Which I think is is part of that part of defense mm-hmm. is is that and over rotating and committing. I I want to close that thought on why I would actually what what I what my thought process came to be where I was like okay I get it Ryan if you want to see Malik do this you want to get some reps on there because what I think will happen is they are going to need a third point of attack defender it it isn't and probably shouldn't just be 24 minutes of a Kogi and 24 minutes of Culver I, maybe maybe it should be but- can it be Rubio Maybe if but, he's your if he's your number three and not like your number two or number one, it'd be better than it'd be better than Malik. But I think the idea is is a as a third wing point of attack defender. And given the dearth of options, Malik probably is the third guy there. And so what I would hope hopefully assume is that Ryan was trying to get Malik reps at this because there's going to be situations where. Malik's going to have to be that guy. And a main one would be, is what's the close? Do you want Josh Okoge or Jarrett Culver in your closing lineup? I think we kind of think maybe the closing lineup is going to be D'Lo, Rubio, Beasley, Wancho, and Cat. Or put Lehman at the forward. I know you want that. <laughs> like, I, I just think in that closing lineup, Wancho or Lehman, that five, if that's the closing five, then Malik's kind of, gotta be the guy and let you know unless it's or, or it's Rubio or it's him and Rubio and, and they have to do it so I would I would hope that's what the thought process was I would also hope when they went back and looked at it and watched all of Malik's defensive possessions from that game when he was guarding jaw or not guarding jaw it became very clear to them that he is not currently ready for that job <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. And and I think what it comes down to to me is I think about late game execution. And I mean, you can look at the you can look at the 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 Toronto game last year. Toronto yeah. ran 4-1 pick and roll. I know, man. They for 10 them. possessions in a row and destroyed nope. D'Angelo Russell. What or yeah, 4-1. Yeah, because it yeah, was Yeah, it was Siakam. It was Siak- it was and an Lowry would come and roll. Lowry would come screen for Siakam, so that it would get a switch on D'Lo, yep. and he exactly. Cooked. And so, my thing is, the Timberwolves have effectively no good defenders out on the floor. No really good defenders out on the floor. If you close with Rubio, mm-hmm. if you close with Rubio, Russell, Beasley, Wancho, slash fine, Lehman, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying no guys that you really want. Mm-hmm. you know, yep. guarding a ball handler. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of happens over this kind of first 20 games and mm-hmm. to see what's going to happen in a close game. Like what's the matchup going to be, or what's kind of the hierarchy going to be? Because if a Kogi's not out there or if Culver's not out there, I, I just really struggle that to struggle to 
think that the Timberwolves are going to win close games because I just don't know how they manufacture stops with D'Lo and Malik Beasley being your two wing defenders. And Rubio. Yeah. No, I, I well, if Rubio's the, guarding your if guarding is if Rubio's your point of attack defender, then but to your point, you kind of, they're going to particularly in late game situations hunt. They're going to hunt, and I mean, let's just go to the, the opener against Detroit. Like, if that's the five, Saunders rolls out there to close the game. Dwayne Casey is going to counter over and over again with Blake Griffin pick and roll with either bringing someone into that or just going at Wancho or Derek Rose is going to try and go at Malik or D'Angelo Russell, you know, who's ever, whoever's on him there. So every team has a guy or two. That's the Pistons who, who you go, I don't know how, how are the Wolves going to guard that? Yeah. So I guess it comes, my thinking comes down to, you have the, in my opinion, the best offensive big in the NBA. Mm Mm-hmm. I think you take Malik Beasley out of the game and you put Jarrett Culver in, you put Josh Kogi in. So you at least have one yeah. more capable defender that you switch onto and you trust, hey, you know what? We're going to have Cat and D'Lo out there. That is a really, really strong offensive duo. You trust that you can do the same thing to them. You can match up Hunt with D'Lo and Cat. Hell, you could run a, a 5-1 pick and roll with Cat and say, someone switch out on a Cat and good luck. And if Cat can't get by him, then I'll take your butt into the post and it's mouse in the house and it's barbecued chicken for two points. Like, I think that the way you think about it with the wolves getting killed, I think you could think about it the same way with the wolves killing other teams. Even now that they have, yeah. Yeah. And now that they have this luxury of having this really strong offensive duo, I think that you don't need that third guy in the game. I I mean, sure. I think, you know, if Rubio, if Rubio can shoot it well, then that kind of alleviates some of the issue. But I mean, then you could still have your four somewhat shooters on the floor with mm-hmm. Rubio, Russell, and then Wancho and Cat or Lehman and Cat, and then Culver. But maybe Culver shoots thirty-five percent from three. Who knows? I, I think yeah. I just think that you need to prioritize defense at the end of games. And I think if the Timberwolves want to end up in that twenty-two to eighteen range, some or twenty-four to eighteen range, somehow. I think it's going to I think the end of games are going to matter and the way that they handle that could, they're going to split the difference. They're going to split yeah. the difference and it's going to be offense defense. That's what it should be. It or it should be at least where where you can go with Malik out there when you're on off, you know, we're talking last minute or two of the game and and on the other end then Akogi or Culver are out there defensively for the exact reasons you laid out. But to go back to that Memphis thing What's concerning is Saunders had the opportunity to do that. Again, it was a dead ball situation. Culver could have subbed into the game right there. And he could have been, you already had a Kogi out there, but you could have brought, might as well have both of them out there at that point. There's 16 seconds left in the game or something like that. Have him come in there so you have two wing, strong wing defender options out there. And it's, it's concerning that that didn't happen. And do you think that that's just because of preseason game or do you think that's, I, you go brain neutral there? I hope so. I hope so. I, th- I I think it was preseason game, and I think it was the idea of let's get Malik. How, how much of, and, and you would know this better than I would, how much of that is a Ryan call versus a, a David Vanterpool call? I mean, can David that's Vanterpool Ryan. say, that's go Ryan. say. Okay. I mean, yeah, Vanterpool could come up and say something to him, but that's that's good. Co- I mean, that's 
that's recognition as a coach. If you go, okay, we just turn the ball over, look at the clock, sub, and you get Culver up, and you know he he comes in the game. And how how much of that is is telling your players like, hey, Jarrett, you know, or hey, Josh, you know, you were my two guys. If neither one of you are on the floor and we have a situation like this, you guys need to be right. paying attention so that if I call your number, you're ready mm-hmm. to pop off the bench and go. Yep. I'm, I guess I my question is just I want to make sure I know what the the protocol or kind of the hierarchy of how that. Yeah, I think it's, I, I mean, and we saw this a ton last year, right? Where Fanta Pool would walk over and say something to Ryan. You know, there, there's, it is, the, he's the associate head coach. It's, it's a tandem thing, but at the end of the day, rotations come down to, to, to Saunders. And in this situation, in a preseason game, at the end of the quarter, which is the closest facsimile we're going to get to this very important topic that you bring up of late game situations. Right. It, but it's that quick thinking you need to have. Yeah, and and it was objectively messed up in the Memphis game. Hopefully, because they were just like it's the preseason. Let's see what Malik can like. Let's can Malik get a stop here on John Morant? Get some you know get some confidence in him in that role. Whatever you know, I would like to think that's what it is. But if the idea is we don't need that, you know, we didn't need to put Culver in here. We don't need to have Okogie at the point of attack. That's just an right. error that that's yeah that's you know what i would that's what i would say yeah so i guess my, my final thought about this whole thing is, is with re late game situations is if you watch the nuggets if you watch the clippers if you watch the lakers if you watch boston or toronto every single possession that they have offensively in the fourth quarter in a tight game it's going through Jokic or Tatum or Lowry slash Siakam or LeBron or AD. And with the Timberwolves, I have not felt like that has been the case. Last year, it felt like it was whatever Jeff Teague felt like Jeff Teague wanted to do. (laughs) Or whatever whoever caught the hand grenade when Jeff Teague realized there was three seconds left on the shot clock or four seconds left on the shot clock. And I think if the Timberwolves can just ride cat say cat you are an offensive superstar and we need you to just go get a bucket or we need to put you in a situation where the defense has to commit to you and your shooting gravity or your post gravity creates an open shot or an easy cutting opportunity for somebody the timberwolves need to start doing that and realize that we don't need to have four offensively minded players on the floor for late game situations where you objectively need one player if you have that one player and the timberwolves have that one player and I think we've heard it, you know, since Ryan became head coach was we all it's been about is cat and maximizing cat, especially on offense. And if the Wolves aren't able to capital maximize cat on offense in the most important moments of the game so that it allows them to to put a lineup out there that's going to also be able to keep things afloat defensively, then I think it's just an object it's an object failure. Well, the in theory, he's got better players around him to put him in those places this season. And and then, you know, it's it's on him, it's on the coaches to to, you know, to put the play together, the situation together, and then it's on him to execute, you know? Yeah, and and, and, that's and I and down I think, in the past. Yeah, and I think the problem is that even in the past, at least through my eyes, is that a lot of times when he's been in the situation, he hasn't gotten the ball. Yeah, but that's the Teague. That's what I'm talking about. Is his yeah. It's, it's not Teague it's, anymore. It's yeah. And so, I mean, we'll see. You know, yeah. So, all right, Jack. Um, 
what are you working on right now? Are you writing, you writing something, you have something before the season comes out. Yeah. So before the season comes out, um, I, I'm been taking a look at, um, kind of where the Timberwolves matched up last year in terms of, um, in terms of where they ranked in, in some points per, in some points per possession in terms of, um, you know, what, what spots on the floor guys on the roster really excelled at shooting in last year and kind of where on the floor, the Timberwolves can kind of look to, to take more shots and take away shots from, from other teams relative to, to other playoff teams and, and how those teams performed in similar categories. So kind of taking a look at the shot distribution, um, of the Timberwolves and some other teams and, and, and looking at ways that the Timberwolves can kind of, uh, can kind of improve, uh, just from last year to this year with some of the new guys that they have on the roster. So, uh, so that should, that should go live, you know, right leading up to the season uh, once I get home uh, this weekend. So I'm just, I'm just looking forward to it and, and just having more basketball to write and, yeah. you know, hopefully more, more weekly columns and just large kind of, you know, zoomed out observations of, of what's going on each week. So well, you guys are doing a great job at Canis, uh, you know, you and Kyle and Jake and Mike and, and everyone there just kind of churning out content. I think we're going to actually, hopefully for a while, have some some real stuff to talk about. We don't have to get into the like, okay, how about next year conversation? Hopefully we could <laughs> we could delay that um, for a while. But but you do you do great work there, Jack. Thank you for doing this. Um, everyone, you can follow Jack on Twitter at jrborman13. Jack, I don't know if we'll do this before the season starts again, but um, maybe shortly thereafter. Our, our see if our preseason takes were completely um out of whack we have you 11th and 22nd and me 13th and 22nd so basically the same thing <laughs> hopefully hopefully our glasses will be a little bit more full uh next time yeah. we see each other yes yes no it was it was a, it was a rough game last night but there's a lot of basketball can, left to be played. it can only go up dane that's true that's true all right jack that's jack borman at jr borman 13 i'm dane at dane more nba until next week peace out Never stop, yeah Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah The headlines remind us daily The world is a dangerous place The elites in charge say everything's fine Stop noticing But you know better And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world That is four missed meals away from chaos My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.